Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you today. It was a wonderful Easter celebration we had together last week, and I'm just encouraged to see more new members coming into the commitment of our church fellowship together to grow together in Christ. That's why we become members of a local church, to commit to each other toward Christian growth. Uh, we have people being baptized today in both services. We are so excited to see that and what the Lord is doing in people's lives. And so let's pray together and ask for God's help as we turn our attention to the scriptures. Father, you are a good God. You are a strong God. And we thank you that you love us. We pray now that as we look at your word, that you would continue to shape our thinking of who you are and of who we are that we would grow, and that we would experience you more fully, and that our trust and reliance upon you would become even more robust. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the incredible things about the Bible is that it not only reveals to us everything that we need to know about God and his incredible character and his magnificent attributes and his ongoing interaction with humanity. But the Bible also serves to show us more about ourselves. The Bible reveals God. And the Bible reveals humans. I wonder if you can think of a time when things were revealed to you about yourself that you didn't expect. A moment of perhaps difficulty or surprise. I remember the first time that I spent an extended period of time overseas. I was in Kenya and Ethiopia for a couple of months. And I can remember the first couple of days that I experienced culture shock. Now, culture shock is certainly not a unique thing to me. Almost everybody who is pulled out of one environment and inserted into a completely different type of environment experiences some level of culture shock, but everybody responds to that differently. When the familiar is gone and your surroundings are peculiar to you and what you think you know and what you lack in your sense it reveals something about you. For me, it revealed a couple of things. It revealed positively that I really liked the sense of adventure that all this unknown meant. Negatively, it revealed to me that I really can get quite irritable when I don't understand what's going on around me. And I also didn't realize how much food really mattered to my comfort. For as much as I have a pretty wide palate for things, there's, oh, there's something comfortable going back to your favorites time and time again. That experience and many other experiences in life revealed something about me to myself. I'm sure that you've had similar experiences. When things are challenging and your response wasn't what you thought it would be, Perhaps you snapped at your spouse, or excelled in an interview, or showed resolve in the midst of temptation, or maybe you caved under the social pressure. Those moments reveal something about our true character and our true makeup. The Bible 
works like that sometimes too. And that is what our text today in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is for. It shows us something about humanity and our desire for security. And one of our common responses when we don't feel secure. And so I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is found on page 230 of the Pew Bible. And if you are just uh, with us for the first time or the second or third time, you are hopping into the middle of a series that we are going through in the book of 1 Samuel called Who Will Be King? And in this series up to this point, we've seen that God's people, Israel, of the Old Testament, were a mixed and sordid group where they would have seasons of good leaders and bad leaders. They sought good leaders and thrived under them, and when they had bad leaders, they stumbled. There was a mixture of faith and faithlessness, and we come now to a turning point in their history. When their leader, Samuel, who is a prophet and a judge, is getting old. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow the ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyard and give it to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. 
they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. There was a need for security. Israel was in a period of transition. We've seen the ups and downs of leadership, responses of self-centeredness, of idolatry, of wickedness of the people, of faith and faithlessness. Samuel, the prophet, was their leader, and he was the key in some ways to their health. And as a result, they enjoyed a season of relative security as a nation. They had a good leader, and they were secure. But now their security was threatened. We see at the beginning of the chapter that there are two problems. Samuel's age and Samuel's sons. He was the prophet over Israel, and he was an old man. And everybody could see it. And no matter how great of a leader Samuel was, no matter how profound this sense of security might have been, everybody recognized the season was coming to an end. And he made his sons the judges over Israel. Now remember, judges weren't necessarily legal judges like we think about today. They were leaders. They were even military leaders of regions or groups of people. And he had two sons who were made judges, but it says in chapter 8 that they weren't fit to be leaders. The godly man had ungodly sons. And in some ways, this was a repeat of the theme we've already seen, right? There was a leader, a priest named Eli, a godly man who had ungodly sons who were also priests, Hophni and Phinehas. True leaders... We're there to serve the people. True leaders do not simply take from them. True leaders have standards of integrity. They don't just sway with the desires. True leaders look out for others, not just for themselves. But verse 3 tells us, at the beginning of this story, that his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after gain, and they took bribes and perverted justice. The sense of security that a good leader brings was at risk. The elders saw it. The people saw it. And how they would respond would reveal something about them. And it would indicate in a variety of ways the nature of their trust in God. And so they came to Samuel, the elders, with a proposed solution. You see in verses 4 through 6, the elders of Israel gathered together and they said to Samuel, Behold, you are old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. And it displeased God. Give us a king! Like all the other nations, that will provide us with security. That was the sentiment of the people. And the request for a king wasn't in and of itself sinful. 
In fact, we see in other parts of the Old Testament, even long before this, when Moses was with the people in the, in the wilderness, many years before this, God indicates that they probably would have a king someday. Deuteronomy chapter 17 says, just in summary, it says, when you come to the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you and possess it, and dwell in it, and then you say, I will set a king over me, like all the other nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. From among your brothers, you shall set a king over you. And so the problem wasn't that they wanted a king. <laughs> it was the motivation behind their desire for a king that was the problem. When their security was threatened, it revealed something about them. It revealed, first of all, an aversion to holiness. <laughs> the Israelites desired a king like all of the nations. They wanted to be like all of the nations, and they wanted a king like all of the nations. It's very specific wording that is told in the story. But the problem was is that the description of Israel's king in Deuteronomy 17 indicated that this king was not supposed to be like the kings of the other nations. He must be an Israelite. He must not amass accumulation of wealth or of horses or wives like all the ancient kings did. This king was supposed to be different. But furthermore, Israel was supposed to be a unique people. The description of Israel throughout the Bible is, is one in which they are not like the other nations. God refers to them as a treasured possession among all the people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation who are separate from the people of the nations. Israel was supposed to be different. And the reason why they were supposed to be different was because they had Yahweh as their God. But when they felt like their security was flipping, slipping away. They didn't want to be a nation set apart. <laughs> they didn't want to be a unique people. They wanted to blend into the fabric of those around them. They wanted to be just like everyone else. Because when you're just like everyone else, there's a sense that you're safe. And this is why God says verse 7 to Samuel they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being the king over them you see when their security was threatened Israel didn't seek God they sought a mechanism to regain security they didn't seek God to provide for their future in the face of uncertainty, they sought a king. They sought a new government. They sought a new mechanism for their future. Of course, they didn't actively express a rejection of God in doing this, in this process, but their motives were, were revealed this deep lack of trust and even a rejection of God in their time of need. They were seeking a mechanism to provide their security. This was the same type of thing that they did 
previously in chapter 4. You remember the story. They were lost the first battle against the warring nations, and the battle wasn't going well. And so as it was looking like all was going to be lost, they employed a specific mechanism. They said, well, hey, if we just bring the Ark of the Covenant out to the front of the battlefield, then we'll be safe. Then we'll be secure. Then surely God will provide and keep us. And now the leader is getting old, the future is uncertain, the current situation needs to change. Let's form a new government, a monarchy, a king. He will be strong and predictable. We won't have to go through the unknowns of functioning like the people of God. We don't have to go through the unknown of trusting a God that we cannot see, a God that we can't fully understand, a God that promises a future but doesn't really tell us when or how things are going to come to pass. Let's be like all of the other nations in our function, but still claim Yahweh as our God with our words. When their security was threatened, it revealed something about them. And it reveals something about us. I wonder what you do when your security is threatened. All of us have our security threatened in some way at some time in our lives. And what you do during those times reveals something about you. Do we trust God and display trust in our actions even in the face of significant insecurity? Or do we seek to employ certain mechanisms for security, and ultimately put our trust in those mechanisms. We have no shortage of mechanisms to employ and to provide for different types of security. I mean, security, the need for security, the desire for security is one of the core desires of human existence. Everybody wants to feel safe and protected. And we have all kinds of mechanisms in place to give us that sense of security. Think about the nature of our relationships. Some of us might feel like relationships provide us with a level of security in this life. And so if you're in a dating relationship, some of you might do whatever your boyfriend or girlfriend asks you to do because the thought of losing the relationship creates an incredible sense of insecurity. Or think about home security. We even call it security. Many of you have alarm systems on your house. Some of you even go so far as to have a firearm by your bedside in the name of security. Or how about financial security? Insurance. You can insure almost anything. Life insurance policy. Medical insurance. Athletes even insure specific body parts that they have. And you know that? Wide receivers often insure their hands. <laughs> Soccer players might insure their feet in the name of security. And we could list dozens more of mechanisms that we have in place. And don't, don't misunderstand me. The mechanisms aren't bad in and of themselves, and some of them are actually wise to employ. But a complete trust in them is bad, especially for the Christian. 
Because God, and God alone, provides lasting security for his people. Because doing whatever your boyfriend or girlfriend wants you to do in a relationship won't guarantee that the relationship lasts. (laughs) Having a security system or even owning a firearm doesn't guarantee that you won't ever be robbed. Last week, just last week, I bought a life insurance policy, modest life insurance policy, and I thought long and hard about what it meant to buy a life insurance policy and how much of a policy to take, and at the end of the day, a life insurance policy doesn't guarantee that my family's financial future will be automatically great if I die or if my wife dies. There are way too many variables for that. That doesn't truly provide lasting security. And having a king in Israel would not guarantee that they would never come under threat from another nation again. The mechanism didn't provide the security that they were hoping for. Because trusting the mechanisms reveals where we find our security. Friends, I've seen so many people go through difficult times in life. You can imagine in my role, often I have a front row seat to that. And when people go through difficult times in life, the object of your trust is revealed (laughs) very plainly. Following the 2008 financial crisis, I saw many friends and small business owners that I knew react very poorly. Some people were victims, others were not, but in the moment when your security is stripped, where does your trust rest? I've had friends and church members who have lost spouses over the years, some through divorce, others through death. Some lost all sense of security in losing their loved one or in losing the relationship, and quickly and without much consideration, they fell into the arms of another. Others trusted the Lord and his provision, and the result looked significantly different for them. Some of us might not be so prone to trust in the mechanisms that provide us for security, but rather to make the spiritual processes of life rather mechanical in their nature. And therefore, sensing that God would give us security about those things. This is what I mean. I mean, you know, if things are really bad, if I just make sure to pray at least three times a day, three times, not any less, then God will... If I fast, if I fast in this way and at this time, then certainly God has to provide me with the security that I need because I'm showing my commitment to him. Or what if I get everyone to pray at the same time and in the same way? If my spouse is sick, then surely God will heal her. And if it's not working, we assume that something is wrong with the process. And therefore, if we alter the process accordingly, then, then, then God will respond. We're all really good at seeking the process rather than trusting the God behind it. It's common for all of us. 
We all have that propensity because we all desire security. And we all desire to make the unknown known. So I wonder what it is for you. What are the areas of security that you value the most? Your family? Your health? Your money? Could be any number of things. What do you do when those things are threatened? The message of 1 Samuel chapter 8 is that God and God alone provides lasting security for his people. And every single one of us will be tested in this area in life. I promise you, you will be. And most of us, many times over. Some of you are here today, and you are in the middle of a very hard time. You're in the middle of a time where your security has been stripped away, where you feel incredibly insecure about some area of your life. And what you do right now, what, how you respond, what you say, reveals where your security is rooted. Will you trust the mechanism for security? Or will you trust the God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? For most of us, the call to think about this and to look at this is, comes as a preparation for us for times that are to come. How will we respond when financial security is stripped away? Will we trust the mechanism for security? Or will we trust the God who says, don't be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. <laughs> but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. If we're honest, some of us will say that we can handle the insecurity for ourselves, but when the one that we love is threatened, when it's our wife, <laughs> or our children, or our grandchildren, or our closest friends, then the pain is too sharp and the trust begins to shake and to waver. Will mechanical spirituality do in that moment? Make sure to fast, make sure to pray three times a day, get everybody to pray together. Or do we trust the God who says, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You see, that is how people who suffer greatly actually make it through and remain calm. <laughs> and you've seen it. I wonder if you've experienced it. I wonder if you'd admired it from a distance. How can he, in the middle of that battle of cancer, be so calm? How can she, in the middle of that difficult family situation, remain so grounded? Why isn't he saying mean things about the people who are persecuting him? Because that is a trust that God and God alone provides lasting security for his people. And so when 
the one who is in difficulty is experiencing this and he looks at the words of Paul and Paul says all good things work together for the good of those who love God for those who are called according to his purpose he actually believes it (laughs) and he actually believes that maybe this really difficult thing in my life as painful as it possibly is right now God himself has actually allowed to happen and not even just allowed to happen but allowed to happen for my good To actually believe that even in great suffering or possibly death is allowed by God. And it is actually for good. Because God and God alone provides lasting security for his people. And so we learn here through negative example and and Samuel gives them a warning. God says, make them a king, only give them a solemn warning to show them the ways that this king will reign. And so, if you look at verse 11 and on, you see the warning. And let me summarize it for you. Verse 11 says, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. And the summary says this, the security of your sons will be lost because he's going to take them into battle. The security of your daughters will be lost because now they're going to be cooks and perfumers in service of the king. The security of your servants are going to be lost because now they're not just going to work for you, they're going to work for him. And the security of your livestock and your fields will be lost and your vineyards and your olive orchards because for everybody in the purview of the kingdom, everything that they have will in some way, shape, or form be touched by the reach of the king. And it says, in summary of verse 17, you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out, because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. The king isn't the solution. (laughs) But there is a true solution. Because God and God alone provides lasting security for his people. And you know the most pointed way that he does that? The way that you can trust that more than any other way? You can trust it because he sent his son Jesus. The true solution for your security. The son of God came to earth to put on flesh. He showed us true love and sacrifice. He was brought to the point of being completely insecure, of being stripped, of being shamed, and even being killed so that we could all be secure. He would become the king who judges wisely and mercifully and miraculously. And his kingdom is not of this world and it has no end. And so those who put their faith in Jesus are part of this kingdom as well. And he is evidence, Jesus is evidence, the greatest evidence that you can trust God because God and God alone provides the security For his people, he provides it physically, he provides it emotionally, he provides it materially, he provides it eternally. (laughs) And if he is going to purchase your eternal security, then you better be sure that he's going to provide for you between now and the day that that eternity begins after your death. I want to close briefly with a little story. 
of great trust. A couple weeks ago, I had a surgery on my shoulder. It wasn't as surgeries go, that major of a thing. Another one of our church members had a surgery on the exact same day, and his was much more significant than mine. John had a lump on one of his lungs and had to have a surgery to have half of his lung removed. And you can imagine that in that moment, leading up to those hours of operation, that he might feel a little insecure. <laughs> his life is hanging in the balance. He doesn't know what's going to happen next or even if he'll wake up from the table. And I asked him, I said, how do you feel? I feel great. Why do you feel great? Because God has this in store for me. I know what's going to happen next. Well, how do you know what's going to happen next? Well, think about it this way, Pastor Nick. If I die, I know what happens next. And if I live, I know what happens next. I know what's going to happen next. How can you be so calm going in, not knowing if you have cancer or not, not knowing what breathing is going to be like or not, not knowing what recovery is, is going to be like or not, because I know God. And I know that he has me in his hand. That is what security looks like in the midst of physical insecurity. And so, friends, you can trust him. Don't trust the mechanism. Trust the one behind it. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that we are so often short-sighted that it's hard for us to trust you for our future when we can't see you when we don't know all the details of what and why you're going to do what you do. And so we pray today with the many promises that you've given us and the great benefit of the Lord Jesus that you've shown to us, that you've applied to us and that you've purchased for us. Give us an abiding trust in you. Prepare us for the days when our sense of security will be stripped. Help us to know and to feel and to have a resolve and to have faith that you and you alone are the one who provides our security, regardless of what the world around us looks like. We pray in Jesus' name.